Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Generation Ag. You've got Kayla today. I feel like I haven't been on the airwaves here with you guys alone in a little while, so I'm excited. This is episode 40, scheduled episode 40, which I just, holy guacamole. Um, That means I've sat on a Sunday and edited 40 different episodes, which is just crazy. But how cool to be here and looking back at all the amazing people we've interviewed has just been awesome. Yeah, just really humbling. We're loving what we're doing and we love hearing from you guys that you're loving it as well. Um, I did want to update you guys that if you haven't already seen on our Instagram or Facebook um, and that you're just a listener of the podcast, uh, we started a Facebook group last week and that is called Generation Ag Community on Facebook and it is just a place where you can all continue to connect. So we just want to bring everyone, listeners, non-listeners of the podcast together and just give you a chance to, you know, connect with people who have a similar interest to you, but also, you know, share issues that are important to you, you know, leverage the community that we have here in Generation Ag for for help or for advice or, you know, whatever it might be, share your events that you've got going on, those sorts of things. So yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know about that today before jumping into introing today's guest. And on that note, I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest. Uh, I've known Byron for a little while now, um, and he is someone I would describe as a quiet achiever. Um, Byron was born in Zimbabwe, and he grew up on a family farm over there, which you'll hear a lot about in this uh, episode. From there, he moved to Australia with his folks when he was only young. Then he joined the Australian Army, and then he has just completed his Bachelor of Agribusiness at Curtin University here in Western Australia and is now working as an agronomist with Le Monde & Co. out at York in WA, which is just the most beautiful part of the world. I'm not going to give you too much more intro than that because this episode is just fabulous. Byron gets really candid with us and I can't thank him enough for the time and energy he gave us in this podcast episode. This is what we love from our guests, just getting raw and real with us. And yeah, once again, Byron, thank you so much for your time. So here he is, Byron Milne. So Byron Milne, welcome to the Generation Ag Podcast. We are so excited to have you. Thank you for giving up your, what is it, Sunday morning to join us. Yes, it's, it's, it's a pleasure, Carla. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, no, it was, I, I can't say, I'm probably, probably not in the freshest mindset, had a, had a decent, um, had a decent evening last night with with friends in the wine testing venue. So yeah, um, sampling yeah, the West Australian produce. Bit, it's all really important. <laughs> exactly right. And I think having a bit of dust on your shoulder isn't isn't the worst thing for an interview. So <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so we'll on see that where note, it goes. <laughs> yeah. On, on that note, tell us uh, who is Byron Milne. <clears throat> who am I? Okay. So my name is Byron Milne. I'm 29 years old. And I was born in Zimbabwe, a country in the southern part of Africa, where I grew up on a farm. Um, Our family moved over here to Australia in 2003, where I went to school in Sydney. And um, after school, 
Our family then moved over here to WA, from which point I joined the Australian Army and um, began a career as an aircraft technician and travelled all over the country for about six and a half years. Um, I then finished up with the military life and um, my beautiful partner, Lauren and I, we moved back to Perth where I tried my hand at the local WA aviation industry. But um, yeah, after doing that for about a year, I felt I didn't really have a a sense of passion for the work I was doing anymore. So after much thought, I actually turned my back on that career and pursued my my lifelong passion in agriculture, which brings us here today, I guess. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so in, so you, in a nutshell. You just touched on your childhood a little bit. So let's go let's go back because I know you've got a really good story to share. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> um, well I had a I had a pretty I led a very privileged childhood, I must say. It was it was a beautiful farm we grew up on um, in Zimbabwe. Um, I I attended a, a boarding school from a very young age, as did every other farm kid in the country. Um, but on my return back to the family farm of of a weekend and a and a holiday, I remember sort of spending a lot of time in the bush with my local African boyhood mates, and we'd. We'd go on long walks and we used to track animals and hunt and fish and spend a lot of time in the wilderness areas of the farm. And I guess that, yeah, that certainly instilled in me a deep sort of respect for the bush and wildlife, but also spent a fair bit of time on the farm was spent at, within the actual farming operation. And, and I'd say in, in part that, ex, that exposure I had to that operation over there was, was what led me to where I am now. And I guess, it was those those early days that fostered my passion for the science and business of growing crops and livestock. And um, yeah, so in a nutshell, that's the that childhood I had over there. Yeah, um, and tell us about that uh, the farming enterprise you had over there. Um, yeah, so it was it was geez, it was quite a quite a business um, that my my father and my grandfather built over there. Um, I'll, I'll say that yeah, I I've, obviously I was I was 13 when I left when I left them, so I was pretty young. So I didn't actually have a part myself per se in in the farming business, but certainly was a part of it in a way and and saw it all in action. And um, the farm was a 6,000 acre property in Wedza, which is a district in the Mishonaland East Province, located in the southern southern eastern region part of Zim. And um, being located between the the equator and Tropic of Capricorn, the climate was was subtropical, summer rainfall, which is which is different to here, and cold, dry winters. Um, yeah, over here in South WA, being a Mediterranean climate was certainly the opposite of that. Um, average rainfall for the region was about 790 mils, which would put that into the high rainfall zone here. However, the region there was prone to mid-season droughts. Um, specifically between the months of October through to Jan, which was a key time of growth stages for our crops. And that's when they needed the most amount of water. So we um, yeah, built large storage dams to cater for that. The average growing season temperature was around 26 degrees, which is really perfect for growing crops. Um, the farming region was built on cleared Brachystegia woodlands and had granite rock formations throughout sporadically spaced with um, that sort of produced a rich mix of red brown sandy loams and loamy sands 
really great farming soil and um, topography was quite undulated but had big flats surrounded sur- that surrounded these granite our crops where we used to crop and run cattle and the flats also had a great spring bite for the animals so um, that was yeah certainly good for livestock dominated by um, a hyperenia grass species which is a tall grass with bird seeds didn't make for great sheep country but um, no it was great for running cattle um, yeah, so my father and grandfather over the years really diversified the, the family farm um, and it became a very a highly productive cropping and livestock enterprise. Um, Dad managed the, the cropping side of things, um, which is all under irrigation from the farm dams. In 92, they, they actually built a 7.5 gigalitre monster of a dam, but which was centred in the middle of three other farming families and they and we all sort of invested into into building that dam, which serviced all of those farms. Um, he grew 150 hectares of maize, um, half of which was for our own steer and cull feedlot um, on the farm, um, feeding 400 head per year, and the other half of the grain that was sold in the local market. Um, he also grew 200 hectares of rhodes grass, which was uh, grown for seed and hay. The hay we used to feed feed that out to our cattle, and um, the seed was actually exported to the UAE, where, where it was used for horse fodder. I think it was racehorses. Pretty cool. Mm. Um, now we also grew 80 hectares of tobacco, um, although a certainly controversial crop. Um, it was it was highly profitable, and um, yeah, certainly a fantastic cash crop for the business. Um, and being located 5,000 feet above sea level, that region made it ideal for growing tobacco and coupled with the perfect growing temperatures, soil type, water availability made for some of the best quality tobacco grown in the world, which was, um, that was really, that was an amazing, amazing place, um, which obviously brought a premium price. So all this added benefit and the affordable labor, labor costs of, of African agriculture made it pretty lucrative entity. Um, we grew a regenerative blue gum plantation, which we used to cure the tobacco with. Um, and part of the tobacco in this uh, entity was a, a seed a seed production section, which tobacco seed was grown for some of the local farmers. And um, more interesting was probably the, the partnership Dad had with the, with the tobacco research board who, who had a cutting edge breeding program at the time and um, led tobacco breeding throughout the world, which is, no, that was, that was, that was pretty cool to, to see. And you hear these stories and dad always talks about the jewel and the crown being the, the male sterile nematode resistant variety that they released in 87. And that, that variety increased yields by 20 to 30% at the time. And today's achieving yields are 50% higher those, higher than those reached um, before the variety was released, and that's on an international scale. So very interesting part of the farm. Um, as I said, controversial, but at that time, that's, you know, you, you did that, and people, that's, that was, it was a good way to make a living. Mm. But in the last 10 years of the farm, we um, dad diversified it further to sort of in, moved away from tobacco and, Further and moved into large-scale citrus production, um, which was part of a citrus growers association formed by him and six other growers. 
and they used to export citrus um, to the UK and to Germany. Um, the enterprise that they they actually got a bit of help set that up by a citrus marketing company in in Germany, helped put the funds up for a big pack house and a grading facility. Um, yeah, I'd probably say this was my favourite part of the farm. Um, pretty cool because, like being in Africa, you really need to make it. You really need to make your own plan because, um, yeah, it's a pretty wild place. So, so the Growers Alliance that form created their own supply chain, which I think was just pretty damn cool. You know, the mm. so the mandarins and oranges that they produce, they'd get graded and packed in the facility on the farm there which is a pretty big pack house. And then they get trucked over the border into Mozambique on a 20-hour road trip. Once the produce arrived there, we get offloaded into a cold facility storage in the port of Byra, um, which the growers helped invest into to ensure it ran smoothly. Um, and then once supply at the port had reached its capacity for the ship, departed, headed off to UK and Hamburg and Germany, and um, the interesting part of that whole supply chain was they only got payment for our produce once the marketeer had taken delivery of fruit at the other end in UK or, or Hamburg. So it made it mm. a very risky, yeah, it was very, a very risky enterprise. But, um, yeah, so for that 70-day journey from picking a fruit, it was 70 days, it was crazy, from, seven, from picking a fruit to placement on the shelves, the shelf life had to be bang on. And I read... I reckon that's sort of where my passion was born for 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 ag. It was seeing that the the, the need for quality of fruit in order to be you know it had to be maintained through that whole supply chain, and to do that was a mixture of you know good genetics and rootstock, and the the rootstock of the trees planted had to be you know um, of to suit whatever the market wanted, but also mm. had to have like phenological traits that were good for that region in order to grow a good crop and that whole biological side of things is where I think I sort of first got a glimpse into agriculture and sparked a, a bit of a passion deep down and um, look it was a yeah that was a high risk operation but um, to put it in perspective if we had sold the citrus locally it would have approximately reached got fetched like 10% of the price that we would have on the European market. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was dad's side. Um, that was all the cropping, which was mm. pretty pretty cool. And then on my grandfather's side, that was a bit bit different. So, so he was the, the true cattleman. Um, he had a herd of about 1,500 commercial crossbreds with two stud herds. Um, one was the lazy M3 red Brahmin stud and a herd of about 100 breeding cows. And the other was the Sussex, which is a boss Taurus similar to the red Angus. And they, that one also had about 100 breeding cows. Um, cattle were rotationally grazed and fed through the winter and then finished off on an intensive grazing program in order to meet the market spec. Um, young bull offtake. I think was about 22-year-old bulls per annum, which were sold at a national bull sale each year. Mm -hmm. um, Bob's stud slogan was quality, not quantity. Uh, I think, mean, yeah, he strived for quality animals, but it was, <laughs> people always say like, why did you, 
put you know Brahman with with Bots Taurus. It's it's crazy temperament to be to be putting into into those into that gene pool. But his breeding program was where I think yeah that was that was the really cool part about that. Um, both these studs included um, artificial insemination, and he used to come over to, to Australia and, and source semen from here and also from the states and take it back um, and for his breeding program. Um, and then in the 80s, so even you know that was in the 80s, and then in the in the 90s, him and the local vet started doing a bit of embryo transfers which was really groundbreaking work and certainly for the Brahmin cattle um, industry uh, because, yeah, we all know how wild the temperament of a Brahmin can be. And uh, yeah, even trying to, even trying to breed with ET was certainly challenging for him. But um, yeah, some of the embryos he sourced, um, he, sorry. Yeah. So he used to liaise with, with us stud breeders and um, Australian stud breeders. Um, and they used to come over and they had a bit of a swap deal, you know, they'd give semen and he, he would give them embryos and, um, Grand's got the picture of, of Gordon Laver, who's Rod Laver, the tennis player came over from Southern Victoria to, to, to the farm to actually, um, have a look what was going on there. Cause he's a, he's a cattle breeder down in Victoria. So. Um, yeah, we had all sorts of people coming over to the farm to, you know, see both sides of the operation. But I think there's probably more visitors coming to see Grandpa and his and his cattle. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was um, that was the that was the farm. It was yeah, it was a it was a pretty cool farm and very diverse and a um, lot going on. And yeah, it was yeah a lot of passion there. And, was that um, yeah, is that so. typical of a farm in Zim to ha- to be that diverse? Mm. It actually it it actually is because it's you know you in a in a region where it's a very small country. You must remember this. It's I think I tried to overlay it on a map of WA and we could fit the whole of Zim into half of West Australia, which is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in that in that small country, you've got the most diverse geographies. Like you, everywhere from you could be driving through the Kimberleys, or you'd be going through like almost like the Snowy Mountains, and then within two hours you're in, into sort of like almost like a deserty type of thing, and then you down, and, and then you can be going through the rainforests of of you know of Cairns and all of this within a few in a matter of hours. So it's, it's very diverse landscape mm. and very undulating. Um, so the farms are, the farms are a lot smaller than obviously our broadacre brothers this side. Um, but in that small area, you've got generally quite high rainfall. So a lot of water. So um, you have a lot of opportunity to pretty much grow whatever you want. It's, it's quite a cool place. And the other thing was we, like the country, the the exchange rate started to drop. So like the value of the dollar started to decrease into the 90s. And I think it was, you know, having the, the need to get ahead, most farmers realised that they had to export in order to earn a decent living off the land. So exporting became a big, a big thing over there. And um, 
you know, just to, to get a bit of foreign exchange in, and, and then you then you do all right. So it was all kinds of exporting from fruit to flowers to um, meat to yeah, you name it. They were doing it. And it was pretty. So yeah, it's a pretty pretty diverse place to to visit. Um, well, back then it was. Um, as for now, yeah, since it took a turn for the worst in 2000 and things went pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, then yeah, so so that was that was the farm. Yeah. Wow. So um, talk to us about that um, transition time then. So obviously you moved to Sydney. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that story? Um, yeah, well, it's a bit of a sad story, but um, you have to excuse me if I, if I get a bit, bit, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit emotional here. Um, so in 2000, things, yeah, as I said, it turned pretty ugly in Zim. Um, Mugabe, who was the, the president there for, geez, over 30 years, he enforced a land reform program, which saw nearly 100% of commercial farmers forcibly evicted off their land. Um, farms were seized by the government with no compensation. And this eviction process sort of dragged on over a couple of years and you know, many many farmers attempt to stand their ground as as you would, but to no avail. You know, some some unfortunately paid the ultimate sacrifice and cost them their lives, and it was a pretty crazy time. Um, the program was it had there was two two parts to the program. Um, so the land was handed over to two settlement groups. You're either part of program A1 or A2, and this was obviously. This was handed over to um, the African, um, the the yeah, just to the general population. But in a sort of, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't as as nice as it, it should have it should have been or was planned to be. As a one sort of farms were distributed to all the cronies of Mugabe's government, so those are all the all the people in 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 the government. And then a two land was subdivided. And then given to all the subsistence-based farming people, issued with sort of that three to five acre plot size. But the plan, the plan failed miserably because, as agriculture serviced like 70% of the country's GDP, one big issue with all of this was, you know, all these new farmers had little to no farming knowledge, and mm. with no access to credit, that it just caused the the whole economy just imploded. And yeah, shortly after we left, it was I think inflation reached two million percent, which is <laughs> I think wow. it's the highest inflation rate on the planet to date. Something like that. It's ridiculous. Mm. There's, there's, I remember my cousin sending me pictures of of them with the back of the Ute filled with um, dollar bills to go and buy, literally to buy a few loaves of bread, because the inflation rate was so high. It was it just didn't it didn't work. It worked. It, yeah, the economy just imploded. Um, so yeah, we, we were pretty lucky that my folks, my folks had sort of made plans. They saw the writing on the wall a few years before this happened. So like 98 and they traveled around the world and looked for somewhere to seek refuge should, you know, should things take a turn for the worst back home and came to Oz and traveled around Australia and loved it. And people were so warm and welcoming and yeah, there's certainly a lot of opportunity here and, 
Mm. And uh, yeah, it seemed to seem to fit the bill. So um, in 2002, um, eviction notices for each farm were placed in every paper in the country. And yeah, I, I remember <coughs> on a weekly basis, we used to we used to gather around and have a look at the paper and see if a farm mm. <coughs> sorry that's okay see if the farm had been listed. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, pretty sad memory, but I must say, um, and then, yeah, sure enough, one week there it was, uh, our name was in the paper and we had 90 days to get off. And, um, it was actually a few days later, a big marauding gang of about 200 men marched onto the farm and reminded us of the eviction. Mm. So by that stage, yeah, so mum and dad had made plans and we were lucky enough to get into Oz on mum's nursing degree it was a in-demand trade at the time so um we yeah we got in pretty quick which was good so once the notice came yeah we turned away jumped on a plane and yeah, came over to sydney where mum had a cousin and um yeah and that's where our sort of australian life began it was in sydney wow and um yeah so yeah that that was that point it was yeah as i said sorry sorry if i got a bit shaky there that's okay. It's always a bit hard to talk about. It's completely um, incomprehensible for someone, you know, myself born and raised in Australia. This is, yeah, completely, oh, I don't even know how to describe. I, I can't I can't feel like I can relate on any level to what that must have felt like for you and your family. Do you have brothers and sisters, Byron? Yeah, I've got two younger sisters, um, Jess and Ash. Jess is a school teacher and Ash is studying IT. Um, it couldn't. So, yeah, no, they, yeah, they were a bit younger. They, they remember it, but I think, yeah, I think they got a bit shook up by all of that and sort of try not to remember it in a way, which is a bit sad. But mm. yeah, and what about your mum and dad? How do you feel like that experience was for them? Oh, for them, oh, geez, yeah, it was probably the yeah you wouldn't wish it upon anyone. It's pretty. Mm pretty horrendous circumstances and certainly shook shook everyone up and you know guys you know people talk about PTSD and I'd say there was certainly a certainly a bit of that getting around and they're still you know people are still pretty pretty messed up in their mm-hmm. in their heads you know we were very lucky we had the opportunity to come here other families had they didn't have that opportunity they couldn't get into other countries they they didn't have any other experience other than farming and they, you know they ended up staying there and had to make their way in a dying economy and oh there's some horrendous stories so you certainly count ourselves lucky in that regard and no you it's it's it definitely it definitely teaches you a bit of a bit of um resilient you know build resilience and you just get back on get back up on the horse and you crack on that's Mm. that's what that that whole thing teaches you and my folks did that very very happy to to say that, yeah, they they did a lot for us kids. It was the whole move was pretty much for us. So, um, wow. no, it was the opportunities that this country's given me and my sisters. Oh man, so good, very very good. Yeah. Wow. And then, so is that sort of did that lead you down the path then to joining the army? Was that kind of a you know service to the country element for you, or did was there something else that mm. led you to joining the army? Yeah. Look. It, 
that that was I don't know possibly part of it. And I'd say the no the I'd say the main thing like I always my my other on my mum's side my 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 other grandfather he had a little he had a little game park in in Zim and um, he used to do game captures and going you know they they'd breed up animals to sell to other national parks and, and zoos and the like and and I remembered every year they would get a, a couple of choppers in and go mustering game. Bit like they go mustering cattle up north, and you, you sort of you muster them into a big boma and, and sort of pick them off, and then chuck and tranquilize them and chuck them off to wherever they wherever they're going. And I actually, yeah, that's where I sort of <laughs> fell in love with helicopters and the idea of them, and I thought they were really cool. Wow. And um, when I was sort of finishing up school, I, I wanted to get into agriculture. It was always my sort of dream to go farming but my folks were saying they they were pretty adamant that I was never to step foot in the <laughs> agricultural industry <laughs> and um yeah so they 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 pushed us in that no, no, mate you, you go get a trade or you get a some other skill behind you mm-hmm. and then once you do that then then you can consider going going farming or being involved there but so I guess there was there was that aspect, so I looked around and I didn't want to go to uni. Jeez, the thought of going to uni when I was finishing school was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. I couldn't, I couldn't think, couldn't fathom studying more. So <laughs> I, I looked around different job opportunities and trades, and, and the military was always something I was, you know, I always thought, shit, that'd be that'd be such a cool adventure, join the army, you know, run around the bush and. As I said, I've got a bit of an infatuation with the bush. I love it and, you know, love living in the bush and being surrounded by that. And that was an opportunity to do that. Um, I met a couple of, a couple of you know, family friends who were in the Australian military. One guy was in the Navy and another guy was in the Army. And um, it was actually an author by the name of Tony Park who Dad became quite good mates with in Sydney. And... Um, he he came to our house the one I remember he came to our house the one night for dinner and I was pretty keen on joining the Navy and Tony he said to me he said because Tony was in the Australian Army as a reservist and he said fine why do you want to join the Navy mate he said they wear flared pants and girls hate them and I thought oh Jesus I, I couldn't wear flared pants bugger that <laughs> So he said, join the army, mate. Women love guys in the army. So it was, <laughs> I think that, that, and then, and then I sort of got chatted to him and then heard all this army story and it sounded like a really pretty, it sounded like an awesome adventure. So I looked into that and that's where, you know, and then the whole helicopter thing and then, you know, we like fixing things. So yeah, sort of, sort of lined up that aviation maintenance would be a good, good way to do it. So I think, yeah, that, that was that was more of the more of the reason I think, mm. not Tony, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, so, how long were you in the army for then? Um, I did six and a half years, and was was based on the east coast for a bit, and then moved up. I was up in Darwin for pretty much four years up there, mm. and um, no, it was geez, it was an awesome time. Travelled around the country numerous times. Living in the bush for you know three months at a time with no phone and in a swag mm. and no showers and <laughs> it was it was 
it might not sound that appealing to to some, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah, the dream. It was, it was great, and I. Yeah, it. I think that sort of time period in my life that was that was where I really fell in love with the Australian bush. Like, geez, this place is cool. Especially we'd travel up in the north, and then you, then you up through the Kimberley region, or you're down in inland of Townsville, or you, you know in the Woomera desert of South Australia or you, you know, just everywhere. It was, it was really cool. Really, really cool. And it was along that way we would, you know, you'd pop in, you'd be on farms or something. You know, sometimes a, a chopper would go down with a fault and had to land in a bloke's paddock. And we'd drive out there with our Land Rover full of tools and parts and go and fix the thing and then have a yarn with the farmer. And, and it was that, those conversations that really, I think, it reminded me of probably where I need to be, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then it was always in the back of my mind. I thought, geez, I'd, I'd love to get back into ag. That would be, that would be pretty cool. But, you know, the career sort of took hold and I progressed and what have you and then got out of the de- Defence Force in 2000, I think it was 16. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and then came to WA and had a crack at the industry here. But, yeah, that whole thing, it's sort of the whole aircraft maintenance, it, I sort of, I, I definitely fell out of, there was no there was no fire in the belly, put it that way. It, mm. it, was, a, it was a job and, and I was good at it and I sort of enjoyed it. It was pretty cool, but, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't something I really just sprung out of bed for every morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Talk me through that transition then, um, your discharge from the military and then you obviously, you tried a bit um, in the civilian aviation industry and that didn't really work for you. You know, when, when was that click moment where you put in that application for university? So it was, so I did the year, worked for a company in, in Bassendine in Perth in an overhaul facility and um, it was a time, it was a, few things that sort of led to the decision. At a time, there was a bit of a lull in the WA economy. And, you know, WA economy is heavily reliant on the mining. And, you know, no one was flying. Choppers weren't flying. I went knocking on door, hangar doors and at, at all the airports, you know. I said, guys, I work for free. I've just got to get hours on, get my ratings for certain aircraft types so I can, so I can you know, legally maintain different, different air, airframes. And... Guys, they, yeah, it just wasn't any work available. So I eventually landed a job, but it was in an overhaul facility. You know, you just, you got parts, big parts coming through and you strip them down, you rebuild them, and you send them off, the next one comes in. And it was, and the, but, and that was all for, it was mainly for Qantas and Virgin Airways. So it was some pretty big gear. It was, it was interesting at first, um, but it wasn't just, I, I really, I was a bit lost. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought, geez, this is, is this really what I want to be doing in 10 years' time, ripping bits of machinery apart and rebuilding them and passing them out the door? Sort of didn't, really didn't sit with me well. So mm. I I looked at different options at a diff, few different schools. So I looked at, at doing like maybe a, a business a business degree or some kind of, I was pretty interested in, in the business side of things and looked into maybe doing some further aviation planning or something. And then I went, it was sort of that year I went on holiday 
I went to South Africa. We've got family in, who farm in South Africa. And I spent a couple of weeks with them on their, on their cattle farm there. And that sort of, yeah, I think that, that was a bit of a spike. And then, and then we went back to Zim for three weeks. So that was after that South Africa trip. And we were on farms. We were, you know, with, with our old relatives and, you know, they were still farming. And, geez, it just it reignited what I think I had as a kid. And that sort of, yeah, well, it did. It, 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 that's, that's what sort of answered my, my question, I guess, was what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. So it was, I came back and for about three months, I remember Lauren and I, we just discussed, we were like, what are we going to, what should I do? And then, and then after about three months of asking a lot of people, a lot of friends in the ag industry, what their thoughts were, which which school to go to, UWA or Curtin or, you know, which degree, ag biz, ag science, which should I do? And then I think, yeah, pick Curtin. I like the look of the degree, agribusiness. Mm-hmm. It was quite a, it's quite a, I like the, the idea of, of, of matching science with a bit of, with a bit of economics behind it. Mm-hmm. And I just, one day, just literally, it was like a light switch. I went to work, handed my resume in, said I've prob- I'm not going to be working here ever again, and um, I closed yeah closed the door on that chapter and went to uni the next week. And it was, I I enrolled the week before uni started, which was <laughs> <laughs> I was like okay I'm doing this and um, yeah so that it was a big change. Like it came from you know pretty sort of set when you're in a career, you know, you're earning a decent salary and you, you've got your routines and you've got your, your things that you get up to on the weekends and you've got your hobbies and mm. and then all of a sudden that's <laughs> that's no longer coming in and you, you're you on the dole, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, no, and then uni started. Jeez, that was, that was pretty, yeah, that was an awesome experience. I loved it. It was great. That's really good. Um, did, did you feel like you had, I mean, you were obviously a mature age student by the time you got there. Um, what was, was it a different experience being a mature age student, do you think, to, you know, against everyone else who was mostly school leaders? Yes. Yeah, no, I definitely say it was a very different experience for me as to some of my mates in, in that cohort. We we all got along, but yeah, I certainly had a different, I had a different sort of attitude going into that. You know, I, I wasn't there for play. I, mm-hmm. I just, I just turned my back on the career to throw it all the way to go and study this degree. So I was not going to stuff up. I wasn't going to fail a single thing and I was going to try and try and get the best marks I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my attitude. Um, yeah, I'd say it was it was pretty cool though. Like I, I, you know, I was with lots of school leavers, and I was 27 when I started. Um, so a little bit of an age gap, but it wasn't that big. Um, so no, we got along like a house of fire. Everyone else in the course, and it was. Um, I think for anyone of my age who's considering a career change into ag, I'd say, geez, go for it. Because mm. I think if you've got any passion at all for this for this sector, for farming or food production or, 
the supply chain of agriculture or anything in the value chain, I think go for it because it's such a, it's yeah. Once I, once I did it, once I was there and I started learning it, it, it wasn't a chore for the first time in my life. I was actually learning something that I wanted to learn and I was just diving deeper and deeper into, you know, homework became, it was my life. It was pretty sad, but <laughs> a lot of my mates are like, where, where have you gone? I said, I'm under a rock, guys, and I'll see you in three years when I get the degree. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was, I loved it. I loved it. It was great. It's really amazing. And I guess, you know, it's so good to hear someone have, you know, by the time, I think that's a great thing about mature age students sometimes is by the time you get there, you really know, you really know what you want to get out of it and you know what you want the future to look like for you as well. And um, it's so cool to hear that Absolutely. you had a experience. So then you graduate. How'd you go getting a job? Yeah. So during uni, I, I think I, I forgot to say, like during my time at uni, I did, I was, you know, I was lucky enough to get a lot of, a, a bunch of scholarships. So that really funded my way through uni. It could help pay for, you know, my, my living expenses but it also allowed me to travel and those those scholarships got me up into the Kimberleys, got got me to farms on New Zealand and Canada and all around the wheat belt and and I, I met all these people and I and once I dive, dove further into ag and you know, you you studying the science of it and the business of it and you they're two very different things and they those are two whole that's you know, you're either gonna go science or business. You can do a bit of both, but it, they, you know, they're, they're both just as cool. And um, so I didn't know which way to go. So there's so many jobs. The, job, the jobs out there are so diverse in this sector, it's incredible. You've mm. got all sorts of jobs. So I didn't know which way to go. So, I, well, the, I think the only way to do this, to figure out what I want to do, is to just put myself out there and see and meet as many farmers and people in, in, in agriculture as I can, try and get overseas, see different farming operations, different supply operations and, and figure it out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those, those scholarships definitely helped me sort of line up. So along the way, it wasn't a matter of figuring out what I wanted to do, it was just crossing, just putting lines through jobs, saying, nope, mm. don't want to do that. <laughs> And I sort of whittled down to I wanted to be involved in it, it needed to be scientific. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed the science around things. It needed to be in the field. There needed to be a business aspect to it. Um, there needed to be research and a research aspect to it. There needed to be um, an innovation aspect to it. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of all sort of pointing me in the career of 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 going down the research line, but not sort of not for a university, but more the, the independent research mm-hmm. company. So, but that didn't really click until right at the end when I, um, so I got all sorts of jobs through uni and work for free, work for money, work, did all sorts of stuff. And, and then I was lucky enough to, to get put on to um, one of the girls in my course, Indy, she put put me in comms with her dad and said you should probably go and and do some work experience with my with my dad, Mike Lamont. So I jumped I jumped onto that opportunity pretty quickly and started working for 
um, the Le Mans in in York doing doing crop research, trial research, and um, yeah, and I loved it. And I thought, mm-hmm. geez, this is this is pretty much everything that I wanted to do. So um, that's I started working for for them six months before the end of uni and just casually, and then one thing led to the next, and yeah, no, so I've been lucky to be taken on full time. And um, that's that's what we're doing. We're doing out here. We're doing field research, and um, and yeah, loving it. Seeing a lot of different stuff. Getting a, it's it's a good way to you know get across all aspects of the of the system in in pretty fine detail. And um, yeah, and there's a lot going on. So it's it's sort of certainly feeling my feeling the passion, which is good. Yeah, and so, Mike yeah, it was is an that, incredible it, person to yeah. learn from as well. I'm sure. No, he is. He's a he's a great mentor. Very lucky to to work under under him. So mm. that's the other thing I'd say. Like, if anyone, I'd say try and find a really good mentor because coming out of uni, you, you as a young person, you you bit unsure of what what's out there and how to sort of get through your day-to-day life as a professional and hard. so I'd say try and find yourself the best mentor you could possibly find and um, yeah just just crack on and do a good job so no it was it was a good opportunity and it's been a great opportunity so mm. loving it that's really great so you're an agronomist now tell us about a day in the life for you <laughs> well we will say I'm an agronomist, but I'm still I'm still learning the ropes. I, I must say, <laughs> training. You, yeah. you can't become an you can't become an agronomist overnight, but I'm cert, I'm certainly on the way. Uh, on the I'm on the on the spectrum of learning, so that's good. Um, the day and the life. Well, you it's 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 very seasonal based. You follow the seasons. You follow the um, we pretty much replicate everything on farm, but just Lots of little, tiny little plot trials all over the state. All over the state, I'd say you you go from from planning your seeding, your you seed your trials, and you once you once you've once your your crops are up, then you go and you do your you make sure your management's um, taken care of, so no pests are getting into into the trial. You obviously going to be doing all your assessments um, along the way. At different timings, and obviously because you've staggered all the all your seeding dates, you're going to have staggered emergence that, and then staggered assessments, staggered management. So there's constant work there through the season, and then obviously at the end of the season, you you harvest the the trial work, and um, you find out the end result. I guess who the winner is, and what <laughs> the best outcome was for whatever you are trying to achieve. And then the reporting side of things come in, and that's that's the fun that's the fun part. I I love that part because that's that's where you really look at the data and you find out what's happened, and and then um, yeah, run the stats and find out find out if there's anything significant, and and then report on that. And it's and it's really cool because that's that's when you really liaise with all the clients, all, all the different businesses, and. You learn so many different things, and it's it's a pretty cool way to learn the industry because you talk to a lot of people um, a lot of the time. So it's you know, it's great. So that's I guess in a nutshell the day in the life of 
what I'm doing. <laughs> a day in the life is no two days are the same. <laughs> no, no, they are not. <laughs> um, you obviously love what you do. What's what's in what's in the long term plan? What's in the five year, ten year plan? Um, well, geez, at this stage, it's just learn the ropes, and I'm my goal is to learn as much as I can over the next five years and what I'm doing and try and, you know, get, get on top of it all and actually become, become someone of, of semi legitimate knowledge. <laughs> I don't know how to say it, but yeah, no, I'd, I'd have to say I'd, I'd, I'd really like to become more innovative. Um, I, I love this, this industry and I love Australian agriculture in general. So, um, um, it's an environment of constant learning and the people I'm under are very experienced and mentoring me along this way. And I'm excited to see what I can achieve. Like it's, it's a, it's a really exciting time to be an ag. Everyone keeps saying that. Um, but it, it really is. There's a lot going on. There's all this, there's a lot of new things coming through the ranks. Um, so if I can be a part of that and promote it and ensure the long-term security of, of the sector, geez, that, that's probably what I want to, that's where I want to be. Mm. Definitely. What do you think excites you the most about the future of agriculture? Um, it's quite a, it's quite a, it's quite a good question. Like it's, it's a hard one to answer because there's so many different ways you can think about it. It's like, you know, mm. we've got to feed a lot of people in a very short amount of time with a bugger all amount of land. So, Mm. Um, which is diminishing. So, I guess there's a lot of a lot of places in that whole sentence where you can focus in on what it, you know, what where your interests lie or what you want to achieve. But I think my where I want to be is in the definitely in the production sector and producing for for cheaper and and producing better better crops. Um, in a more, I guess, in a more, people say sustainable, it's quite a th throw around word, but that's, yeah, I think in a more sustainable way. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of, lot of room to, to improve um, our practices. And I think in time, you know, 10 years time, it could be, we could be implementing some very different practices. And I think, yeah, the technology coming through is, uh, it's going to be pretty exciting stuff. And uh, it will certainly help out a lot um, on the farm. Yeah, so exciting. Well, I hope Byron, that answered the question. <laughs> uh, no, I think you did. It, uh, like you said, there's there's just so much to be excited about. I think it's all, yeah, like yeah, the yeah the throwaway line. It is. is it's a great I mean, time this, to be an this, ag, and it is exactly like this podcast is exciting. What you guys are doing <laughs> is exciting. Like, thank you. It is because like you, you drive around the wheat belt and you drive through these towns and you. You see what has been, and you see the, you see cricket fields, you see bowls clubs, and you see tennis courts, and you you see a community that once was, and it's overgrowing, and and you look around and you look at the shops, and some towns that you know they're thriving, they're doing all right, but I'd say the vast majority they're just they're slowly withering away, and the young people are leaving, and that you know it's that whole community aspect that drives, and everyone knows that that's that's what drives the regional areas mm. so doing something like this if you can sub, sort of 
get get all the youngsters together and you know it's it's a good thing it's a really good thing oh thank you well you just talked about community a big part of this podcast is creating community and allowing people to get in touch with um our guests whose stories have touched them um so how can the listeners get in touch with you if they're interested um yeah you can get yeah shoot us an email if you want um my email address is byron at lemondinco.com.au or get me on linkedin i i must say i haven't i I don't think i've updated my linkedin profile since i was in halfway through uni so i probably should attend to that um (laughs) but i do see the messages that pop pop up so if you if on there or facebook you'll find me on facebook pretty quickly just send shoot me a message anytime yeah if you want to have a yarn or whatever yeah and just yeah go for it whatever awesome (laughs) byron thank you so much for your time today on a uh, recovery sunday morning it's been so nice talking to you and your story has been amazing i really can't thank you enough for for laying it all out for us today no it's a pleasure kayla anytime that was no it was it was a it was yeah when you first asked me i said oh i don't know i haven't really (laughs) spoken about (laughs) i haven't really spoken about my history at all much to anyone so it's yeah i guess it's it's quite good to sort of reminisce on your life and what you've achieved i guess it's you know the risk of sounding obnoxious or whatever the word is i think yeah it's i think it's good for you sort of come back to ground and see what you've accomplished and what you can, what you, where you, where you can probably better yourself and what you should probably, where you should be aiming. So I think it's a good thing. So yeah, no, I really appreciate you guys having me on. That was, yeah, it's, it's been good. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.